This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. And the Catholic Church proposing a new golden rule, post about others as you would want posted about you. The Vatican's communication department has issued guidelines to tame the toxicity on Twitter and other social media platforms. First up this week, the Vatican has issued a new document on social media. It acknowledges that the question for Catholics is no longer whether to engage on social media, but how. Jerry and I analyze the document and its blind spots. But on Francis's mind, the unending war in Ukraine. He recently met with Sister Lucia Karam, who has traveled to Ukraine many times to care for those wounded from the war. Next up, Sister Lucia Karam, the Argentine nun who drove almost 4,000 miles to rescue refugees from Ukraine, was back in Rome last week to tell Pope Francis about her 18 trips to Ukraine and her latest plan to open three field hospitals there. Jerry caught up with her. He'll tell us what she's been up to. I'm Colleen Deli, and this is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from tropical Rome, Colleen. <laughs> tropical as in rain in the afternoon? Yes, we've had a bright sunshine in the morning, then some clouds. As I was coming here, it began to rain a little, and thunderstorms predicted for the afternoon, and so I don't know what comes next. Jerry, despite the tropical weather, Pope Francis had a fever the other day, which I associate kind of with the winter, but he canceled all of his plans on Friday of last week. How is he doing now? Well, he's back on form. I mean, it was no surprise that he uh, took Friday off because on Thursday he had a mega agenda. In the morning, he had no less than seven audiences. That is a ton. And some of them went with a lot of people. And then in the afternoon, about 3.30, he did an interview with Telemondo. And then he had a meeting with Scola Ocorrentes. And at that meeting, you had mayors from 70 cities in Latin America and some from Portugal. And he met each one of them, saluted each one of them. They brought him many gifts. He was really in a very hot room. Mm-hmm. And uh, no air conditioning. And it's not like those papal clothes are cool. (laughs) No, and everybody was crowding around him. So uh, it was obvious to me watching that uh, tomorrow he he just won't be well. And in fact, he had a fever. But Saturday, he was back on track. Audiences in the morning. And then he went to the studio of the state television to record an interview, which he should have done on 29th of March when he was taken to hospital. You remember, he canceled an audience and had to go to hospital. And then on Sunday, he had the Pentecost celebrations. So he doesn't know the word slowdown. I know. I I wish he did, though. He could really use a break sometimes. 
That interview that he gave to the Italian television station will come out on Sunday after this episode comes out, so our listeners can keep their eyes out for that. All right, Jerry, so let's get into our discussions for this week. Uh, For our first story, we'll talk about this new document that the Vatican's Dicastery for Communication put out. It's called Towards Full Presence, a Pastoral Reflection on Engagement with Social Media. And it lays out how Catholics should be thinking about their social media engagement. Like the Pope's encyclical Fratelli Tutti, it takes as its model the story of the Good Samaritan, and it urges people to reach out and listen to people who are different from them, to build community with those people, and to step beyond social media into working creatively together for a positive change in the physical world. So a lot of positive ideas here. Jerry, I know you and I each have a lot of thoughts about this document, but the first thing I think it's important for our listeners to understand is the position positioning of this document, which is honestly a little unclear to me. I know it's not a papal document. It's a Vatican document, though. It's signed by Paolo Ruffini, who is the prefect of the Vatican's Dicastery for Communications. It also says that it's not meant to provide precise guidelines for pastoral ministry. So how are we supposed to read this? Who is it for? Well, that's a very good question, and it's one I asked when I read the document. It said many Christians are asking for inspiration and guidance since social media has a profound impact on both our faith communities and our individual spiritual journeys. So obviously, it's a document aimed at inside the church, not outside the church. That's the first conclusion I came to. And secondly, it says they've consulted experts, teachers, young professionals, leaders, laypersons, clergy, and religious. It says the aim is to address some of the main questions involving how Christians should engage in social media. It seems to me like it's guidelines for individuals who are kind of discerning their own social media engagement. I took the part about it not being a precise guideline for pastoral ministry as meaning that it's not a professional guideline for you know, church employees to like build their communication strategy around, even though it may prove helpful for something like that. Yes, it's clear. It it it, it calls for a reflection. I've wondered also what part of the world it's it's directing its message to. Yeah, that's a good question. And it seems to me that it's more directed at the, uh, can we call it the Western world, or at least the democratic societies. Mm-hmm. Certainly, places where there's freedom of the press, right, where where social media isn't being repressed. Uh, Today, I I read that in Pakistan, a young man, 24 now, he was arrested in 2019, has been condemned to death for blasphemy on the WhatsApp chat. Oh, my. So uh, he and a friend, and the friend has also been arrested and is standing trial right now and probably will also be condemned. So these are Christians. It's touching the Christians or Catholics in in one area of the world, but I I don't see the document in a way addressing this kind of issue. Yeah, it seems to take as its presupposition that everyone can express themselves fully on social media, which is not the case in many parts of the world. There's a lot to talk about in this document. Uh, I think you and I both see some strengths and some weaknesses in it. So let's just give our main takeaways, maybe a couple strengths, a couple weaknesses, if you want to go first, maybe we can go go back and forth, start with whichever you'd like, a strength or a weakness. Well, I think the first thing is it says very clearly to people, it points out that uh, the social media has tended to foster individualism. And so people get into their own little bubbles. Yeah, definitely. And bubble with, with a, a group of like-minded people. 
And so they, as it were, discard all the other operators. Mm -hmm. And it says you can't discard people. They're your brothers and sisters. And, and I think this is a strong point in saying we, we've got to realize that if we're engaging, we're engaging in a conversation. And then it says also very clearly, the, the other may be a stranger to you, but you, you should try and reach out to see what there may be in common. And then it also says very clearly that uh, one has to act with respect, with what they say, God's style, with a certain tenderness, with a certain compassion. Yeah, that God's style is something that Pope Francis talks about a lot. He says that God's style is closest compassion and tenderness. Yeah, and uh, the, really the question that's being asked is how, as believers, should we engage in the social media? That, that's the key question. And this is being raised also from the way believers today are engaging in the social media, some of them in very positive ways, some of them in pretty negative ways. And this second part, this negative use of the social media, is a cause of much concern. Because if you have believers, Catholics, bishops, priests, cardinals, engaging in the social media that are, in fact, in some way, perhaps even undermining the church or its way of work. I mean, it's not even a perhaps, Jerry. We, we had a concrete case of this two weeks ago in the U.S. where the bishop of Tyler, Texas, tweeted publicly that he rejects the program of Pope Francis. He said that he's undermining the deposit of faith. So this isn't a hypothetical. This is a, a very real thing that the church is facing right now. And of course, we see some really devastating comments being made about people destroying people, their character, their lifestyle. And he says, no, no, that's not God's style. That's the style of, they don't use the word devil, but it's the style of the divider. Yeah, I also appreciated how the document was really transparent about the fact that there is a profit motive for that kind of siloing, right? These companies job is to keep users engaged. And what they found is that the things that keep you engaged are, one, things that look like what other people who are similar to you like, which fosters siloing when that's all you're seeing. And then two, uh, that what fosters more engagement is outrage. We've seen Facebook uh, information leaked that completely reveals this. And so I, I appreciated how realistic this document was about the issues that Catholics and the church and honestly all social media users are up against. I also thought that it was a really positive step in the Vatican's thinking on social media. I've followed the church's documents on communications and studied historical ones for the last like 10 years or so. And I've always been struck by there have been basically two modes of talking about social media. One is this is a great thing and it it enables so much communication and connection across the world. And then the other is very negative. For example, in Fratelli Tutti, we saw Pope Francis talking about the negatives of social media and how it can divide people. And I remember coming away from that when I first read it, feeling like, maybe it's time to quit social media. Maybe that's what the Pope is saying here. And 
I thought this document finds a good and very honest middle ground where it says, you know, this has real positives. People can enact social change on social media or be galvanized by social media in a way that they can't when they're working just separately. Or people can crowdfund for people in need. That's a real action you can take using social media. Uh, but at the same time, it's honest about these profit motives, these these examples of uh, yeah, things that are really negative and and that we have to push against. So I appreciated that. Yes, I I think it brings out that uh, <clears throat> there are two areas. One is what is said in the sharing of ideas, information, etc., and the other is the push to action. And this, of course, has always been a, a key element of Francis's pontificate. Says we preach the gospel not just by words but by deeds. And, and the social media offers a lot in this regard in, in terms of, um, for example, in, in the, the whole of the ecological question, it, it encourages people to take action. You, you mentioned the fact that companies use the social media to attract and to engage and keep online. I mean, if you think of TikTok, I was talking to my son Juan Pablo yesterday, and uh, I was asking him to explain to me how TikTok works. But I see it captures the younger generation in a big way. And then you ask, you know, what does it exclude? What subjects are not being raised? And uh, and the kind of the you might call it artificial intelligence that's behind it that that is sorting out what is information and and. So it also can close the thinking of the user. And I think this document is saying, you know, don't let yourself get trapped. It doesn't use this word, but don't let yourself be locked in the particular social media that you're using and ignoring that there's a whole other universe out there that uh, has validity and deserves respect and deserves engagement. Yeah, and at the same time, it was um, really honest about the fact that like these realms, online and offline, aren't totally separable. It uses this term that I had never heard before: on, on life, like all one word, on life, like online. Uh, you know, acknowledging that that yeah, you're living your life online and also in the real world. Yes, I hadn't heard that expression before either. Okay, Jerry. So we've talked about some of the strengths of this document. Uh, what are some of its weaknesses, in your view? Well, I think one obvious weakness to me is that it seems to be talking to one part of the world. How would this document be read in China? Right, right. Or in autocratic states, Russia, mm -hmm. uh, some of the Middle East countries, mm -hmm. uh, where uh, you cannot have this freedom of discussion. Mm-hmm. You cannot have the freedom of access to information. It, it doesn't mention this question, this whole question of the freedom of information. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's for another document that they need to move a step down. Maybe they wanted to avoid political issues. But when you think we're in the middle of a war, mm -hmm. well, we're in the middle of several wars, but the war in Ukraine, where there is two different narratives of this war, one being told in Russia, in Belarus, in China and some other places, and one being told in the West. Mm -hmm. And where dissenting opinions are even violently quashed. And you dare, you dare not 
even use the word war in in in, in Russia. And so uh, the question is then, uh, why was this area ignored? But it it, it avoids, uh, it seems to me, quite deliberately anything that would be interpreted politically. So I I, I feel there's another part that needs to be added to this document. I I would like to see it to the more global issue for for the church, because we're a universal church, uh, and we know that Christians are persecuted in many, many areas. I, I, I think it's necessary to go a little deeper than the document does, and I would welcome it. Yeah, I think where you you advocate for it going broader, I would advocate for it being stronger as well. I felt like, you know, the document was was stepping in the right direction, taking on these issues, being really honest about, for example, the profit motives of these companies and how that foments division, or being honest about how church leaders can themselves be hostile and polemical on social media. But it sort of shoots itself in the foot, if I can say that, uh, by one, saying that it's not official guidelines, and two, uh, not coming from the Pope, not being signed by the prefect rather than the Pope. And and then three, the, the title is just not very strong, towards full presence. They could have gone much stronger and said, you know, this is a document called full presence. I would love to see this have a bit more teeth go broader but also go deeper I, I think this question of the title is very interesting Colleen because if you've got a title which is first of all not easy to understand which doesn't have something attractive in it uh, it, it weakens its ability to reach people of course th- this is I think maybe one of the first documents to come out of the Vatican signed by a, a layperson yeah. Yeah, that is a significant step, yeah. That, that, that is something new. And I think it's good also that the Pope doesn't have to sign off on everything. Let a discussion happen. He doesn't have to give his imprimatur and say, you know, I, I, I've I read this document and I, I think it's the best thing since, you know, <laughs> I don't know, TikTok. <laughs> and uh, I think it's good that there's this freedom I'm struck also by the fact that towards the end of the document, you you see really some serious questioning about how some people in the church are using the social media in a negative way. And maybe that's, as you said earlier, maybe that's part of the reason for the document. Yeah, Jerry, there's obviously so much more we could say about this. After the break, we're going to talk about someone who is really putting her communication skills to use for good and for uh, sparking positive action. That's Sister Lucia Karam. She was just in Rome to work on raising money for field hospitals in Ukraine. You got to catch up with her in Rome. We'll talk about what she's been up to after the break. Stay with us. Saints for Sinners offers hundreds of saint medallions, all beautifully hand-painted right here in New Orleans. Each medal is unique, and there's a saint for everyone and anyone. For animal lovers, for musicians, for mothers, for daughters. These saint medals are all wearable, and they make great gifts for any occasion. The saints offer guidance, perspective, comfort, and most of all, hope. 
These one-of-a-kind hand-painted saint medals are tiny tokens of hope. Find your saint online at saintsforsinners.com. Imported from Italy, hand-painted in New Orleans. Visit saintsforsinners.com. When we last spoke about Sister Lucia Karam on Inside the Vatican, it was March 2022, and she'd just returned from an almost 4,000-mile road trip from her convent in Spain to the Romanian border with Ukraine. It was an amazing story. This young Ukrainian woman had come to her and said she was worried about her parents who were stuck in Kiev, and Sister Lucia hopped in a minibus with a man who worked at the convent, and through several changes of plan, ended up driving back to Spain from Romania with three Ukrainian women and their three children who she met at a refugee camp. Now, Sister Lucia has been to Ukraine 18 times, providing a breathtaking amount of aid and helping to evacuate and house even more refugees. Jerry, you met up with Sister Lucia in Rome last week. Tell us what she's been up to over the last year or so. Well, it's it's a story that really merits a fil- being made into a film. <laughs> yeah, for sure. She she has, in these last 15 months, taken 92 ambulances into Ukraine. 92. 92. And the calculation is that each ambulance would probably save the lives of 100 people. Then she's also taken in, you remember the Russians were bombing the power stations, the electricity. She took in 62 generators. Wow. And she also took in a bus. So with bunks, so you can get the, the... wounded soldiers from the front out quickly. And she has taken back to Spain with the help of some other organizations, 4,000 people. And she's got in her in her convent, she set up a foundation where they now care for 1,000 people, most of them mothers with children. And she's found jobs for a lot of these people. And she really is, is is a force of nature and, uh, you know, one of these extraordinary people that makes a difference to life. She has brought many soldiers. I think uh, the last calculation was 62 soldiers badly wounded, really with limbs coming off or without legs or with part of one leg lost with arms, eyes. And she's got Spanish hospitals to help rehabilitate and put these people back on their feet. Right, not just give the medical care, but give the physical therapy, for example. Yes, and she, people, she's she's now, by the way, Colin. I didn't. It's not my story. She's about to take a fire engine to Ukraine. She's got a, a group to give her a fire engine because these missiles come in, and now they shoot down the missiles, and so the. Uh, the debris from these drones, and they set fires to places. So a fire engine. Uh, This sister has used buses. She's rented airplanes to bring people out. And people have given her funding. Right. Obviously, she's not doing all of this completely alone. She has a lot of supporters, including Lionel Messi, right? Yes, she's a friend of of, uh, Messi and the Barca football team. She, She has... When I was in Barcelona some time back, I saw that people are, the fishermen, they're giving her fish to help the people she has to try and support free. 
or at the basic basic cost because people see the authenticity of her witness they see here is someone who is not doing it for herself but who is helping others and they are happy to join efforts of this nature and she says uh, when they ask her you know well what about the, the, the weapons going into she says a country has a right to defend itself i don't talk about arms but what i do talk about is the need today more than even when the war started for humanitarian aid to ukraine and that is not coming yeah she told you this really poignant story uh, that stuck out to me when i was editing your article about driving uh, into Ukraine and being next to this big truck full of explosives that was marked Explosives USA. And she talks about how arms are flowing in, but the humanitarian aid is not flowing in the way that it used to. Yeah, she said there was at the beginning of the war, people were really uh, giving everything sending all kinds of aids. And I've seen pictures, etc., from when Elizabeth was there of all imaginable gifts from all over the world. But people have grown a little tired. The war has gone on 15 months. The The humanitarian aid has not kept pace. In fact, it's dropped by 80%. Wow, that's a huge amount. While the need has gone up, the need has gone up, a quarter of the population have been driven from their homes. Eight million are in, in exile as refugees. Another four or five million are in the country in elsewhere in the country trying to find refuge in, in a home. And of course, the schools are shut and the hospitals have been destroyed. Right. And she talks a lot in your article about the medical need, which is really overwhelming. Yes. we And even the, the picture we ran in on, on the day we published the story in America. It's a bombed clinic. A clinic bombed. Mm-hmm. Now, th- there have been more than 770 attacks on medical centers, hospitals, care centers. It's unbelievable. I mean, these are war crimes by any standard of the imagination. You can imagine one bomb going astray, but these seem to be targeted. And this this is really a crime against humanity. Right. It isn't just wounded soldiers she's helping. It's, it's people who are seeking ordinary care in hospitals. So, Jerry, why was Sister Lucia in Rome last week? Well, she came to see, uh, to meet some journalists, but to really meet the Pope. And she wanted to tell him, look, my latest venture is to set up mobile field hospitals. These are field hospitals which have intensive care units, uh, which have uh, operating facilities, all kinds of uh, structures, but which can be set up and dismantled in half an hour. Because she says, fantastic, she says, at the war front, 40% of the wounded soldiers die from not having access to rapid medical care. Hence, the, the first of all, the ambulances she took in 92, and now she's setting up three field hospitals. That's her goal. But I, I, I wouldn't say the figure will stop at three, because she started out to get one ambulance, two ambulances, then 10, then 30, then 60, and then 92. She's now starting with three field hospitals, and they cost about close on $2 million each. And, you know, the field hospital is obviously uh, an image that Pope Francis has borrowed a lot to describe how he sees the Catholic Church as, you know, going out to people in need. Was she asking the Pope for money, or why was she talking to the Pope about it? No, no, no. She, she, 
she goes in to tell the Pope what she has seen with her own eyes. And she said, from my first trip, I, I wrote it, she said, from my first trip into, into Ukraine, I myself was wounded by what I saw. She said, when I tell the Pope what's happened, I see that he is deeply wounded by what he sees and his impotence to stop this war. And uh, so, but he, he encourages her. He tells her, keep on going. I, I, I talked to her afterwards. She said, he told me, just keep on going. God bless you. And he gives her bags of rosary beads. Oh, yeah. There was a really moving part in your story uh, where she talks about how she says, in every tomb in Ukraine, there's a set of rosary beads. Yes. And she says that the soldiers carry them. She, I didn't put it in the story. The soldiers. The, the, the parents get you, the relatives get them and give them soldiers and they take them with them into the conflict. And she says that they grasp, when I give them the rosary and tell them it's from the Pope, they grasp it as if it's the only thing they can hold on to, their faith when all else has failed. And she said, my, my, my own faith has been strengthened by what I have seen with these people. We talked earlier, Colleen, about uh, the, the social media and the engagement. This is, is a woman, this sister, uh, uh, Lucia. She is on TikTok. She's on WhatsApp. She's on Instagram. And she's all on the, t the Spanish television. Because people see it's a real story and they connect to it and they respond. And we see here the example of what one person can do. She, she, she was one person, she felt when she read the stories of the war, she felt, I have to do something. I can't be, like the Pope says, sitting on the balcony and a spectator. Uh, and so she set out, and th there are many people, you know, individuals make a big difference. And I think this is the moral I would draw from Swar Lucia's story. Individuals make a big difference. And it it really is important. The document on social media says about, you know, individual engagement, but community engagement. The individual is often the reason the community gets in, engaged. And this is true of Swarluci. And yeah, Jerry, I think that's a great, great lesson to draw from this story. Just the, the difference that one, one person can make in galvanizing a whole community to act for positive change. We'll include some links so that our listeners can follow and engage with Sister Lucia. Uh, we'll put those in the episode description. Sir Lucia, as we, we forgot to mention, uh, is Argentinian, and we have a few other stories out of Argentina this week. Pope Francis said publicly that he intends to visit Argentina next year. He also appointed a new bishop of his home diocese of Buenos Aires on May 26th. Bishop Jorge Ignacio Garcia Cuerva is relatively young, he's 55, and he comes from the south of Argentina, where he worked primarily in prisons and poor neighborhoods. And uh, an interesting part of this story is that it's been reported that Pope Francis found the bishop himself, that his name was not included on the Turna or the list of three candidates that was delivered to the Pope. Our listeners can also find links to any other stories that break before this podcast comes out on Friday in the show notes. Jerry, thanks so much for talking with me about these two stories this week about Sister Lucia and about the new social media document. I appreciate it. Thank you, Colleen. Look forward to our next session. Yes, we will see you next week. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Kevin Jackson, Christopher Spielman, and Robert Balasser. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. 
To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at Colleen Deli, that's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E, and Jerry at Jerry O. Rome, that's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to American Media. Just click the link in our show notes. It's really easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For American Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.